All righty. So welcome to church. It is good to be here today. I thought Easter was supposed to be our biggest service. I think today is going to be bigger, so I don't know what's up with that. But it's been an, an incredible couple of weeks as we have been able to baptize. I think total baptisms will be 22 after we're done today in the last two weeks. So praise God for that. I'm excited for more baptisms. I think we have eight in the second service. So if you want to stick around, you can stand in the back. And, and see the baptisms, it's going to be really good. You know, we're all about that as a church. We're called Scent Church, which I know might be a little weird when you first see Scent Church. You're like, what does that mean? You know, sometimes when I tell people the name, they're like, is that like a penny, like a scent, or is that like a smell, like a scent? I'm like, no, it's like Jesus has sent us to make disciples, right? Come on, you should get that, you know? <laughs> so the point is, that's what we're all about, is, is introducing people to Jesus, and not just introducing them, though. We don't just want to get people to pray a prayer of salvation. We want to raise people up in the ways of the Lord. Our, our dream as a church is not to be a big church uh, necessarily, although I'll, I'll take it, Lord, if you want to make us a big church, but it's to make big people, right? It's what we're all about. We want to make people or help people follow Jesus with their whole hearts, and I believe as we do that, we're just going to see the church naturally grow. And if you're new with us today, I just want to say welcome. We're so glad you came. It's a little bit of a busy day. I hope you found a parking spot. I heard the parking lot is full. We do have street parking. Uh, dream team, next time we all got to park there, okay? So, but I hope you found a spot. I hope you're feeling just warmly welcome today that you got a cup of coffee. It's really good coffee. John Griffin loves coffee, so he like is back there like analyzing the beans and he's like grinding each one. So it should be good coffee. So I, I hope you enjoy that. Yeah, so, and also I'd love to meet you after service. So if you're feeling so bold, just please come up to me. I'd love to, or to meet you. So one of the things I miss about life before COVID was my yearly vacation with my wife, Emily. I, I look forward to those vacations. It's typically around May that we take these vacations. And, and it takes usually for me about three or four days into the vacation to really get to the sweet spot where it's like, okay, now I'm really feeling super restful. Because at first, I kind of get stressed out. I'm kind of, I can be a little controlling. So especially when I'm going somewhere new, I'm like, okay, everything's got to be perfect. I don't know what's going on exactly. I need to get this all figured out. But by day three or four, I start to relax. And I can remember a couple of times on vacation. One time we were in Mexico and it was probably the fifth night of vacation. And we're laying in this hammock on the beach. It's dark. The waves are crashing. And all of a sudden, this joy just starts to bubble up in my spirit. I'm like, this is cool. This is what it's all about, right? So I'm thinking that moment. I remember one other time we were walking across the Brooklyn Bridge, which was always a dream for me. I, I really love New York City. I've always loved it since I was a little kid. And getting to walk across that bridge and then sit on the side of Brooklyn and look at the Manhattan skyline, see the Freedom Tower, and I put my music on my iPhone, have it in this romantic moment. We got this chocolate shake. And it was just this moment of joy. I, I miss those moments, and I'm hoping I can take a vacation here soon, but I miss those moments of joy where I just feel at peace and full of wonder and just so thankful to be in that spot. But something I've been beginning to realize during this last year of COVID as we've pretty much been in Blackhawk County for the whole year, which is crazy for us because we're always traveling around for ministering different things, is these moments of joy are available to us in everyday life. It's not like you have to go to Mexico to have a moment of joy. You don't have to go to, or to New York to have a moment of joy, but these moments are much closer than we think. I've experienced these moments of joy more so in times of an evening walk with my daughter Jane, who just loves to go for walks. Like, it's like the best thing in the world to go walk down the street. She's like, yes, this is awesome, we're going for a walk. I've experienced these moments of joy, you know, walking around nature trails in Cedar Falls and just thinking, wow, look at that really nice tree. It's COVID, there's nothing else to do. Look at that tree. Wow, that's such a nice tree. 
you know, drinking a nice cup of coffee in the morning when the kids aren't awake yet. Ooh, those are moments of joy, I tell you about that. I, I sit there and be like, yes, Lord, I praise him. This is so good. You know, those moments of joy of laughing with friends. I remember the first, like, big time I got to be around friends again. It was actually Marcus and Katie Boldy's wedding. It was in May of last year. And I remember just laughing with my friends there and being like, yes, I miss this so much. And the point I'm making is I've been able to access these moments of joy more in the everyday stuff of life. And even more so than like these moments, like a cup of coffee or on a walk, all that stuff. I've been learning to access this joy more so in my relationship with Jesus, right? Like I'm realizing what Jesus promised when he said, I came to give you joy, or I've said these things to you so that your joy would be full. I, I've been I've been learning to access this joy. You see, over and over again, the scriptures promise followers of Jesus a, a robust joy. Not happiness in the sense that everything's perfect in your life, but it's a robust joy that is rooted in being right with God, having the resurrection life of Jesus coursing through your veins, and having the Holy Spirit live on the inside of your heart. It's this joy that doesn't come from the external, but comes from what God is doing inside of our hearts. I think a, or think of Galatians uh, chapter 5, verse 22 through 23, where Paul gives us the fruit of the Spirit, and one of the fruits of the Spirit is joy, right? This idea that if you're walking with God, if you're in relationship with the Holy Spirit, he's going to give you joy. That's how you can know if you're growing in the Spirit, you're growing in love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. If you're not growing in those things, you might not be growing in the Holy Spirit, right? You might be like getting passionate in worship, and then you yell at someone in the parking lot because they took your spot. That's not... <laughs> Or that's not the way of the Spirit, right? I think of Psalm 1611, David says this, and I love this verse. He says, or he says, you make known to me the path of life. In your presence, he's talking about God, all right? In your presence, there is fullness of joy. In your right hands, or at your right hand, are pleasures forevermore. Do you know that God wants your pleasure? Like, he wants you to have pleasure, not by doing cray-cray things, right? Some of you are like, I, I like pleasure. No, I'm talking about pleasure from being right with God and being in his presence. I believe we all deep down want to be able to say with David, in your presence, there is fullness of joy. We want to really experience that. But for many of us, we're not accessing that life of joy. Even for those of us who are right with Jesus, we're not really accessing that. We call ourselves followers of Christ, but we're really grumpy. That's just the reality. And it's not that it's not available to us. It's that we're not accessing it. We, or we long for this kind of life, but we don't know how to step into it. Jesus has more for us. He has more for us as a church. He has more for us in our city. He wants us to step into a life of joy that's, that's there no matter what's going on in the external and no matter what's going on in our circumstances. So with this in mind, we're continuing our sermon series, Beauty for Ashes. And we began this series last weekend on Good Friday and on Easter Sunday. And this series is all about the idea that Jesus came to or to reverse the misfortunes of God's people. The consequences of death, sin, hell, and the grave are overturned through Jesus, who is God's Messiah, who has crushed the enemies of God. The series is inspired by Isaiah chapter 61, where he prophesies about the Messiah and what he will come to do. I just want to read verse 3 this week. We read the other verses last week, but just verse 3, it says this, and provide for those who grieve in Zion. He's talking about the Messiah. He's going to provide for those who grieve in Zion and, and to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes and the oil of joy instead of mourning and a garment of praise instead of heaviness. Some of y'all want to start dancing. Garment of praise instead of heaviness. Come on, I get excited about the one. I don't really know why. It just sounds cool. Well, he says here, instead of a spirit of despair, 
they will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. So, so far we've talked about how Jesus brings us peace in a world of turmoil, okay, no matter you know, what's going on in the world, how crazy it gets, we can have peace. We talked about that on Good Friday. And then on Easter Sunday, we talked about how Jesus can give us an imperishable life even in a, even in a world of decay, even in a world of death. But for this week, we're gonna talk about joy and how Jesus can give us joy in a world of mourning, okay? Inexpressible joy is a sermon title. If you're taking notes, and I hope you are, because I work really hard on these things, you know what I'm saying? You know, it makes me feel good when I see you down there like writing really fast. I'm kidding, you don't have to take notes, but I love it. Okay, so Peter, so let's look at uh, First Peter today. That's where we're gonna be hanging out today as we talk about joy. So Peter was one of Jesus' 12 disciples, and he was really his right-hand man. He was known for his zeal and his passion for Jesus. I can relate with Peter, you know, just going crazy, like, yeah, Jesus, and then doing stupid stuff. You see, in the Gospels, there are numerous stories of when Peter's zeal would kind of get ahead of him, and he would get so worked up, and he would actually say stupid things. And, and Peter wrote this letter about 30 years after the events of the Gospels. It was written in 62 A.D., about 30 years after Jesus left the earth, and it was written to various churches that were scattered throughout the Roman Empire. Its purpose was to encourage the believers to persevere in their faith, even in the midst of suffering and persecution. And you can see the same zeal that Peter had in the Gospels in these letters. You can see his zeal, but it's, it's beautiful because it's more mature. See, before his zeal was kind of all about hype and excitement. I like hype a little bit. Like, I like to get a little crazy once in a while. But in First Peter, you see that his, his zeal has become more mature. It's become, it's become grounded in Jesus' death and resurrection. It's not just because he's excited about this Messiah. It's because he has seen Jesus die, and he's seen him rise again, and he's seen the Holy Spirit do amazing things through his ministry, and he has this confident zeal in Christ because he's experienced the real Christ. He's seen him die. He's seen him rise. He's seen the power of the Holy Spirit moving through him. And his call throughout this letter is for the scattered believers in the Roman Empire who are being persecuted to remain faithful to Jesus no matter how much opposition they face. Although they are spiritual exiles, they have a heavenly inheritance awaiting them. In the opening verses of this letter, we see that Peter calls the believers to, uh, to live a life of joy no matter their circumstances. And it comes from being grounded in what Jesus has done. So let's read it as we look at how we can live a life of joy. It's, it's verse three of, of chapter one in First Peter. He says, blessed be the God of our Father, or God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and to an inheritance that's imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice. In this you have joy, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I love this part here. You gotta get this. If you're taking a nap, it's time to wake up. Come on. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and you rejoice with joy that is inexpressible. You can't even put words to it. And filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith and the salvation of your souls. This is good stuff. Are you ready? Because God's about to speak to us. I want to pray quick before we do that. Okay, so Holy Spirit, I pray right now that you would speak through this passage. I pray that 
uh, today it would almost be like we're hearing for or hearing Peter talk to us, God. I, I, I pray that, that, that Peter's intent in this letter would come to life. God, I, I pray that, that each person in this church, each person here today would have joy that is uh, not dictated by our circumstances, but it's dictated by what you have done, Jesus. So we love you, God, and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so what I want to do this morning is, is trace out Peter's pathway to joy that he gives us in this passage. And before I do that, I want to highlight verse 6 again. He says, in this you rejoice. Okay, so Peter had just gotten done sharing about some of the blessings and hope we have in Jesus. And then he says, in this you rejoice. He's saying that's where your joy comes from. And then he goes on to explain some other reasons for joy. And he returns again to the theme of joy in verse 8. Though you have seen him or have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. So this word for rejoice that's used both in verse 6 and verse 8 is agaleo. <laughs> okay, I don't know if I did that right. I tried. Okay, I, I, I prayed. I'm not doing it again, but it's agaleo or something. Like, okay, I did it again. Anyways, we, so, so this word here that someone who is a Greek scholar would be better at saying, it, it, it signifies a deep spiritual joy. It's like deep wells of joy. It's a, it's a rejoicing in what God has done. So Peter is telling us that because of the blessings we have in Jesus, we can rejoice and we can have deep joy. I believe that these blessings we see here in 1 Peter are catalysts for joy. Like these are, are the ways we access this joy. So I wanna go through, there's four of them, okay? So if you wanna be thinking ahead, there's, there's four catalysts for joy this morning. And, and the first one's in verse three. He says this, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again. He's caused us to be born again. In this you rejoice. Now, obviously, this idea of being born again, you can only access that if you've been born again, okay? So if you know Jesus. So I'm just gonna assume for us this morning, when I go through these four ways to have joy, it starts with relationship with Jesus. You have to get right with God. And then these four ways or four catalysts for joy can come into your life. So if you don't know Jesus, I pray that that would happen today and we'll give you opportunity for that. But these four things are catalysts for followers of Jesus to have joy. So the first point this morning is this. We can have inexpressible joy because we've been born again. Okay, so Peter says again, he says, blessed be our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. And he says, this God, because of his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again. So this word for born again, it's this idea that God has birthed or he's caused a new spiritual life to, to kind of come up inside of us. Becoming born again is what happens when you put your faith in Jesus and the Holy Spirit comes to live on the inside. Jesus talked about this in John chapter 3. He says this in verse three. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? And Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and of the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Okay, so Jesus is saying, saying or he's saying, unless you are born of water and the spirit, you cannot be born again. So what's he mean by that? Well, he's pointing back to the Old Testament where water and spirit symbolizes a cleansing from impurity and transformation of hearts. And this is most clear in Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 25 through 27. 
And it, it's kind of, there's a prophecy here about what Jesus is going to do. It says, I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleanliness. And from all your idols, I will cleanse you, and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh, and I will put my Holy Spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. Okay, so Jesus is saying, he's saying, if you want to enter the kingdom of heaven, you must experience what Ezekiel prophesied about. You must experience getting a new heart and having your heart of stone taken out and, and a new spirit put within you. And just after Ezekiel 36 is Ezekiel 37. Maybe you learned something today in church. Chapter 37 comes after chapter 36. So God takes Ezekiel to a valley of dry bones. Okay, so think like Lion King. Okay, so Simba's running, Nala's running. They get into that the hyena thing, that den, whatever you call it. There's all these bones, right? And hyenas are chasing them. Sorry, I have a two-year-old, okay? So... And Ezekiel, he commands the dry bones to come to life, and they come to life. So what Jesus, like these bones, they come together and they form bodies. It's really weird stuff. Okay, I'm just going to be honest. Some of the Bible is kind of weird. Okay, so what Jesus is saying, he's saying, if you want to be in my kingdom, if you want to be saved, if you want to experience life with God, the dry bones of your life must come to life. God must give you an inward transformation. Your dead heart must come to life. You must be born again. Okay, so Peter, he starts his letter by blessing Jesus for giving us this great gift. We can't do it on our own, right? We can't make our heart come to life. That's ridiculous, right? God has to breathe into our hearts and bring them to life. And we praise God for that. That causes joy to bubble up in our spirit. It's not something we've done, but it's by God's great mercy. It's only because at the same time, each of us were sinners and headed to hell. Christ came out of heaven. He died on the cross for our sins, and then he rose up from the grave declaring death defeated. That's why it's possible. It's by God's great mercy. Because Jesus rose, our hearts can rise. Because Jesus' body came back to life, our bodies can come back to life on the last day. This should cause us to have inexpressible joy. Okay, so when I think about this kind of joy, I think about when I get sick, and I'm kind of a baby when I get sick, I'm not gonna lie to you. Like I lay in my room like, can't do nothing, Emily, you got the kids, you got it all figured out now, because I'm here, woe is me, I can't do anything. <laughs> but when I start to feel a little bit better, I'm like, come on, I'm feeling better, this is cool. I, I start reading a little bit, maybe watch a little more TV, I'm starting to kind of do a few things. By the time I'm back and I'm better, I'm like, okay, I'm taking on the world. Some of you who have you know, worked for me in Chi Alpha or been a small group leader or, or you're a volunteer at the church, you know what that's like. I come back, I'm like, come on, we're gonna do all this stuff. We're ready, come on, I'm feeling good. Because I feel better now. I, I feel like I can be productive again. In the same way, when we've been born again, we should have this vitality and this joy that's of a different world. While those who have not been born again get weighed down by the stuff of this world, we know that we've been born of another world, heaven's world, and we allow that to spark joy in us that is not dictated by circumstance, but is dictated by what Christ has done in us. We're not just called to have a ticket to heaven, but we're called to have heaven's, or heaven's joy in us now and to show that to the world. Our born-againness, if that's a word, it's not, should give us a powerful, prophetic joy that causes our friends to ask, what is up with you, man? That's what it should cause to happen. We should be joyful. We've been born again. Come on. If you're saved in this place, I'm just saying, have some joy, okay? <laughs> Do grumpy. All right, sorry. I get worked up sometimes. It happens, and I come back down to earth. Okay, so, okay, he gives us more reasons for joy in, in verses, well, the, or the latter half of verse three through verse five. 
He says he's caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Okay, second point this morning is this. We can have inexpressible joy because we have a living hope. Okay, Peter goes on. He says, we haven't just been born again, but we've been born again to a living hope and an inheritance that's imperishable, undefiled, and unfading that will be kept in heaven for us and guarded by God's power through our faith. What is this stuff? This is crazy. God is guarding us. He's guarding our faith. By God's power, he's guarding our inheritance that's waiting for us in heaven. If that don't cause you to get joyful this morning, I don't know what will. If you've been born again, if we've been born again, we should have a true, robust hope that is anchored in what Jesus has already done and in what he's going to do in the future. Because Jesus has already risen from the grave, we can have confidence that on the last day, our dead bodies will rise from the grave and, we, and we're going to be welcomed into this new, eternal, imperishable life, these new heavens and earth. The resurrection of Jesus and our future resurrection were not just some theoretical ideas for Peter. You see, just before Jesus died on the cross, Peter had really blown it. He denied Jesus three times. And when Jesus died, he felt like it was over he would, and he would never have a chance to ask for forgiveness. His hope was lost. He, he probably felt like his life was worth nothing at that point. He had put all of his chips in that basket, and when it mattered, he blew it. When Jesus came back to life three days later on that first Easter, hope was reborn in Peter's heart. Jesus forgives him for his denial, and he calls him. He says, Peter, give your life for the gospel. He actually tells him, he tells him, you're going to die for this. But he gives him a new chance. You know, Jesus looks Peter in the eyes. He says, it's not over. You have a new chance, a new opportunity to step into what I have for you. He was restored to his master. He was given fresh purpose, and he would end up giving his life for Christ. As, as he knew that death would not have the final word, but he had a glorious inheritance awaiting him in heaven. Peter knew that the treasure waiting, him in heaven was, or waiting for him in heaven was better than anything this world could offer him. That treasure would never decay. It would not be defiled by sin. It would not fade away. Peter knew that his hope was sure, and he, and he calls the believers here to ground their joy in that. He even says that this hope is a living hope, and that suggests that it kind of grows. It increases over time. It's, it's living and active. As we grow in Jesus, our hope and our confident expectation in what to come should actually get stronger. As we get older, our hope should get stronger. As we get closer to death, our hope should actually strengthen. We have joy, not only because we've been born again, but because there's a glorious inheritance awaiting us in the future. Okay, so my daughter, Jane, she loves to swim. I'm telling you, you can't say anything about a pool or swimsuit, because if she hears about it, she's gonna be asking me all day. It doesn't matter if it's you know, 20 degrees outside. Are we going swimming? Are we going swimming? So yesterday, Nana and Papa came up here and stayed in a hotel last night. I love it when they stay in a hotel, because then we get to swim in the pool. I can sit in the hot tub, and then Nana plays with Jane. I love it. Okay, so point is, we tell her yesterday morning, we say, okay, we're going swimming tonight, and she's just excited. She's like, this day is gonna be awesome. I'm ready, and she's pumped up all day. She's wanting to put her swimsuit on right away, but I'm like, no, 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 we got a few hours, but there's just this expectation and, and by the time she gets to the pool, she's like, cannonball. She's like, I don't care if I'm two. I'm running. I'm jumping in right now. Somebody better catch me. In the same way, Jesus wants us to walk in this 
expectant joy that is rooted in the fact that eternity is figured out. We have a glorious inheritance awaiting us. Because of what Jesus has done in his death and resurrection, we will get to spend eternity with God. Can I get an amen, somebody? Come on. That's good stuff. We get to be with God forever, the one we were made for. Sometimes we think we were made for the stuff of this world, but no, we were made for God. That's where we will find our home. That's where our heart will find its home. That's where we will experience abundant and joyful life is, is life with God that, that is undefiled by sin, that, that's not separated by anything. That's what's waiting for us. This should cause us to have joy. And this should cause us to have a joy that's not affected by what's going on in our lives. We have an opportunity. If you follow Jesus, you have an opportunity to place your joy in something that cannot be taken from you. Not in a sports team who can blow it for you right at the final buzzer. I tell you, like those Vikings, I, I feel like every time, you know, my wife Emily likes the Vikings. No disrespect, Vikings fans. But they always miss the field goal. It's like a 22-yard field goal. It's in the fourth quarter. You're going to win this. You're going to the Super Bowl. It goes off the side. Every time. See, you can't put your hope in stuff like that. Some of us got to stop putting our hope in sports. Come on, can I get an amen? I'm going to put my hope in Jesus. I like the football team. You're like, who's the football team? Yeah, they're the Redskins, okay? They were the Redskins. That's who I like. I'm not putting my hope in that. I got to put my hope in Jesus. Our hope isn't in a philosophy, though. It's not in some dead guy who said he was God and then stayed in the grave. It's in a real living Jesus who conquered death, sin, hell, and the grave, and he is actively guarding us and preparing us for the eternal life with God. Mm, that's good stuff. I like that. Okay, so because we have this hope in the next life, we can have joy that or not just in the good times on earth, but also in the hard times. Okay, Peter talks about this in verse six. He says, in this you rejoice, though now, not, or though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, or gold that perishes, though it is test by, or tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ third point this morning is this. We can have inexpressible joy because we have purpose even in our pain. That's a good word. We need to hear that. There's purpose even in our pain. Okay, so Peter says we rejoice in the fact that we've been born again to a living hope that's being guarded for us and nobody can take this from us and no one can take the hope we have in Jesus from us. He then goes on to say, that we rejoice even when we face trials. We can have joy even in the midst of trials. He explains why in verse seven. He says, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. He's saying that we can have joy even in, or even in our trials because it has a purpose. We face trials so that our faith can be refined so that it can be proved genuine, so it's not just some fickle faith. With eternal life and our future, our pain and suffering can now serve a, a purpose instead of just stealing stuff from us. James says it, I think, a little bit better in chapter one of his book. He says this, he says, count it all joy, my brothers, when you face trials of various kinds. Okay, okay, I see where you're getting at here, James. It's a little weird, but when a trial comes, you're like, count it all joy, woo, trials, why? For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness and let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Because of Jesus' death and resurrection, we can experience joy and grief both as a normal part of the Christian life. We experience grief because of the difficulties that arise in our fallen world. Like grief is a biblical thing. You should feel grief when bad things happen. 
But we also, at the same time, we can experience joy because our trials are now being used to prepare us for the next life. Trials help our faith to become genuine or proven. One commentator said that trials burn away the impurities of our faith. Because some of us, we we put our faith in Jesus because we're like, hey, he's going to make everything perfect in my life. And that's not a good kind of faith. Our faith needs to be put in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, right, no matter what's going on. And when you face a trial, it helps refine that faith and make it more mature and steadfast. After having gone through a trial, our faith is more genuine and therefore more valuable to God as he delights in us being truly and deeply trusting of him no matter what our circumstances are. It's times of trial that our faith is proving to not just be there when things are good, but even when things are bad. They reveal that our faith is in God and not in our circumstances. Our faith is in God and not what he gives us. I've told this story many times, but of the troubles that Emily and I had getting pregnant with Jane, I won't share the whole story again, but it was over a year-long battle of trying to get pregnant with her. We got pregnant once. We lost that child after a week. It was really quick. And I remember so many times in that journey just or just wondering where God was at. I'm like, God, I thought you're supposed to like do what I ask, right? Like when I say I want a baby, give me a baby, all right? <laughs> I was so frustrated by my circumstance. See, everything in my life at that point had, had, had went pretty well, honestly. Most things went well. There's some things that happened, but for me, nothing too crazy. And I had to really come face to face with suffering for the, or for the first time. And at the same time, I was facing that frustration, that grief. I had deeper moments of intimacy enjoying God than I think I've ever had before or perhaps since. As I knew that something supernatural was happening in the midst of the trial, I knew, because I read it in scripture, I knew that God was forming something in me. I knew he was making me into a man. He, and he was maturing me. He was making my faith more mature. I, I knew, I was like, God, you're doing something through this. That's how you have joy in the midst of trials. You look and you say, what is God doing? What is God doing in the midst of this trial? And Although we should you know, certainly grieve when we have trials, we should be able to have some joy in them. And we should be able to have joy because, again, God is doing something. This doesn't mean that God loves it when we face suffering. God does not cause evil. Okay, so don't take that from this message that God sends evil stuff to me to make me more mature. No, God uses it, certainly. When the devil tries to do something to destroy you, he'll take it around and use it for good. That's what God does. He like this, is it jujitsu? Is that how you say it? Like he's always like, boom, like, like I don't know what I'm trying to say. Point is, you know what I'm getting at here, I think. He tries to take what the devil does and turn around for good. And the devil, he may be having his way right now in your life. You may feel like that, but just know that because Jesus defeated death on the cross, because he rose from the grave, he can take even the worst of circumstances and bring, and bring beauty out of it. He can bring beauty from ashes, joy from mourning, praise for heaviness. Ooh, I want to start singing today. I, I did that last two sermons. I'll, I'll save you this time. I'm not going to sing. Okay, so, so verse 8 and 9. There's one more catalyst for joy. It says, though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith and the salvation of your souls. Fourth and final point, we can have inexpressible joy because we know Jesus. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with a joy that's inexpressible and filled with glory. Paul, or not Paul, Peter had seen the risen Jesus. His love for Jesus had an obvious source. He had a real face-to-face relationship with Jesus. Like Jesus was his boy. They were best friends. He saw Jesus die. He saw Jesus rise. 
But these believers he was writing to, they did not get that same privilege to, uh, to see Jesus face to face. And yet they still loved him just the same. They had never seen him, but they loved him deeply. Peter was confident that you love him. They believed in him and they rejoiced with the joy that was inexpressible. How were they able to do that? John 14, 16 says this. This is Jesus. He's about to leave earth. He says, and I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. The helper is the Holy Spirit. Those believers, they knew God. They knew the Holy Spirit. They had relationship with him. It wasn't just religion. They weren't just trying to be good so they can get into heaven. They knew him. They had talked with the Holy Spirit. They heard from the Holy Spirit. They had relationship with him. Or with him. They were able to love him and have joy in him because they actually knew him. If we're struggling with joy, maybe we don't know him. They may have not seen his risen body, but they were walking in relationship with Jesus. They had a personal relationship with the Holy Spirit through prayer and worship and God's word. They believed in him with their whole or their entire being because they knew him and they experienced him for themselves. When Peter uses this, or when he uses this word rejoice here again that he used bef- or before in verse six, he strengthens it this time. It's not just rejoice. He, he says it's an inexpressible and exalted joy. He adds these modifiers to the word. It's, it's inexpressible. And, and by strengthening this word in verse eight, by calling it inexpressible this time, he's saying that the joy that they have because of their relationship with Jesus should be even greater than the joy that they have because of what he's done for them. You hear that? Our joy in our relationship with God should be stronger than the fact that he's done something for us. Because we actually are walking in relationship with him. We're not just believing facts that he died and rose again, but we're walking in relationship with him. It should be a joy that's not just a joy, but an inexpressible joy. Like we think about my relationship with Jesus. We're like, I can't even put it into words. I'm so pumped. I walk with God. Oh my goodness. So this morning, I want you to consider this. I'm gonna consider this. Do we have a relationship with Jesus that causes us to have inexpressible joy? Do we struggle to put it into words how much we love him? And Peter even says it's not just inexpressible. He says it's filled with glory. And that means that the joy is filled with the presence of God himself. It's saturated in the manifest presence of God, his glory. Peter is saying when you walk with the Holy Spirit, when you have a relationship with Jesus, you can't help but have this kind of joy. I'm trying to decide where I want to go. Okay, Holy Spirit, help me here. Okay, worship him. You can come up. <laughs> All right, so when I was a freshman at UNI, I encountered the Holy Spirit in a profound way at our Chi Alpha Fall Retreat and an experience that the scriptures refer to the baptism in the Holy Spirit. Maybe you're like, what is that? Well, we're planning on talking about that this summer. We're going to talk about the Holy Spirit, so I'm excited for that. But after that retreat, I happened to have tickets to a concert at a bar in Des Moines. And I remember that whole night during the concert, I could not stop worshiping Jesus. I was like so excited. There's pictures of me on Facebook. If you look back, I had a stupid hat on and I had a goofy button-up shirt on. I thought it was so cool, but I was just like so happy. The joy was like so palpable in my heart. I was just in awe of God's presence. I'm like, this God, like he's real. I actually know him. I actually just met with him today. I have an intimacy with him that I never had before. And I was actually back in Des Moines on Friday night. And I always, whenever I'm in Des Moines, I drive by that bar. And I spent some time on Friday night walking around the Capitol, praying for Iowa, just kind of spending some time with the Lord. 
and enjoying his presence. And I, I can't explain it. If, if you were at the Capitol, which nobody was, I checked, but I was, uh, you know, shouting for joy. I was like literally so pumped on Friday. I'm like, God, here we are. It's 10 years later. You're still walking with me, Holy Spirit. You're still filling me. You haven't abandoned me. You've called me to do crazy, stupid things like plant a church in a pandemic. What an idiot. <laughs> and you're still walking with me. There's like just, there's this joy. I just could not, I couldn't contain it. God's presence was so tangible. He's just bringing life to my body and my spirit. I'm like, holy smokes. If this is what Christianity is all about, I'm in. I'll give my life for this. But this intimacy with Jesus is not just available for people who you think are super spiritual or for pastors. You know, James, he encourages us in chapter four of his book. He says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. It's a promise. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. It's a promise, guys. It's not just some idea. It's a promise. If you draw near to God, he will meet you. All we must do is ask for more of him in our lives and seek him and we do, we will experience a download of his life and his presence, which will lead to joy. The main idea this morning is this. Jesus can give us inexpressible joy in a world of mourning. Even in the midst of COVID-19, we can have joy. Even when you haven't been able to see your family and friends for a long time, you can have joy. Even when you can't go on vacation, and if you do go on vacation, you have to sit in isolation for two weeks afterwards, so it's not worth it. You can have joy. <laughs> As you consider this passage this morning, I want you to look through those four catalysts of joy and just consider, say, okay, which of these do I need to better access? So maybe for you, you need to access the fact of being born again and this idea of having a living hope. You don't have a right relationship with Jesus. And, and this morning, you need to be born again. Jesus is saying to you, just as he said to Nicodemus, a religious leader who thought he had it all figured out, he's saying to you, he's saying, you must be born again. So this morning, I pray that if that's you, that that would happen. And all it takes is, is just putting your faith in Jesus and saying, Jesus, I can't do this. You got this. And if you do that, the Holy Spirit of God will breathe life into you. Or maybe you came in and, and you've been suffering lately. And that suffering is, is causing, or it's kind of taken away from your joy. Maybe the cloudiness outside is making you not very happy, right? I don't know what's going on. Maybe you're facing a tough time and, and it's kind of stealing your joy. But this morning, Jesus is calling you to a joy that's not dictated by circumstance, but a joy that even in the bad stuff, you can say, okay, I know that God is doing something in the midst of this. Therefore, I can have joy because I'm gonna come out of this stronger. I'm gonna come out of this more formed into the likeness of Jesus. Therefore, I'm going to choose joy even, as the same, even at the same time that I grieve and I suffer, I'm gonna have joy at the same time. Or maybe you need to find joy in the fact that you know Jesus. You can say with, with these people who Peter were writing to say, yes, I haven't seen him, but I love him. This morning, you know, maybe you, like you've already been saved, you've already prayed the prayer of salvation, you're a Christian, but you're not walking in intimacy with Jesus. And Jesus is just saying, I have more for you. Jesus wants to call you to actually know and love him. And, it, and as you dive into life with him through spending time with him every day, by reading your word and praying and worshiping him and being with the body of believers, he's going to give you joy because again, Psalm 1611, in your presence, there is fullness of joy. All right, would you stand with me all across this room? Jesus is calling us to be a people of deep, robust joy. 
Peter says, we can have this joy because we've been born again to a living hope that cannot be taken away from us. We can have this joy because there's purpose even in our pain. And we can have this joy because we truly know Jesus. I believe that God wants each of us to step into that. So if you would bow your heads and close your eyes, I wanna give you two different ways to respond this morning. The first way is for those who, who don't know Jesus yet, or maybe you once did and you walked away from relationship with him, I wanna give you a chance to be born again. And it's something God does. God has to breathe into your heart. He has to do something supernatural. But in Romans 10, Paul tells us, he says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So this morning, I wanna give you a chance to do that. I'm not gonna ask you to, or to say anything out loud, but I just want you to raise your hand to heaven. If that's you, I'm gonna count to three. Just raise your hand as a sign saying, Jesus, or Jesus, I wanna put my faith in you. I wanna confess that you are Lord. So on three, raise your hand. One, two, three. Sit my ball across this room. See those hands, see those hands. There's lots of hands on this morning. See those hands. Is there anyone else in this room? You wanna pray that, that Jesus would help you to be born again? All right, you can put your hands on. I'm just gonna pray a simple prayer. And you just pray something in your heart. Just, just something real, guys. You don't have to say anything religious. Just say, Jesus, I trust you. I love you. Thank you for dying for me. All right, let's pray. Jesus, we thank you that you made eternal life possible. Jesus, we thank you that you are the God of the comeback. When you were dead and there's no breath in your lungs, you came back up out of that grave. God, we thank you that death does not have the final word. And this morning, Jesus, there are many of us in this room that are saying we want to put our faith in you. So God, I pray that you bring dead hearts to life all across this earth. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, one more way to respond. If you're a follower of Jesus here, but if you're honest, you haven't been walking in joy, I want to give you a chance to ask him for joy. Okay, so draw near to God, he'll draw near to you. I want to give you a chance to do that. Okay, so if you feel so bold, just put your hands out in front of you or, or put them up to heaven, however you want to do it. And I just want to pray for you as you do that. Just pray that God will give us joy. Okay, so Jesus, this morning, we're asking for joy. We're asking for joy, Jesus. We're asking for a joy that's not dictated by circumstance. God, we're asking for joy that's dictated by the fact that we're born again. A joy that's dictated by the fact that there's a living hope that's given to us. It's dictated by the fact that there's even purpose in our pain. And it's dictated by the fact that we know you, Jesus. So Holy Spirit of God, I pray right now that you would give us joy. In Jesus' name, amen.